It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Again, I got Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory here. And uh, wisemoneyradio.com is the website. If you'd like to submit your questions, any financial planning questions can be submitted there, and we will answer those questions on future shows. And plus, we'll have some probably online content, things like that, that answers and address those questions as well. So if you were listening last week, we made a promise to everybody that we were going to talk about budgeting this week. And And so that's exactly what we're going to do. It just ended up kind of flowing into a budget conversation last week. And some people had some budget questions on the the website. So we wanted to make sure that we addressed it. Yeah, we we were were talking about politics. You know, you talk about money and politics right now. That's that's a big deal. And we turn our attention to, you know, a lot of people believe Washington's getting the whole budgeting process wrong. So who's getting it right? How do you do it? Where are the good examples out there? Uh, I was doing some research this week uh, in advance of the show, and uh, it turns out not many people are getting it right. There is a Gallup poll out there from just over a year ago that shows only 32% of people actually do a budget. So said differently, over 60% of the population don't even use a budget. And so how can we throw our arms up at Congress when they're not doing it if, as Americans or individuals, we're not doing it ourselves? Well, what's your view, guys, when you look at the clients that we're serving, how many of them do you think are doing it well? Very few. I, you know, I, I think of how many people come into the office already having a budget in place. And, you know, it's it's not something that you see very often. They, they seem to stand out when you find someone who actually is managing cash flow well, because it seems like it's kind of a topic that most people don't really go to in their marriages or in their own families. So. Mo- actually, most people do say, yeah, I've got a budget in my head. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and not that I would knock someone for that, but, you know, before starting in this industry, I would have said the same thing. But most people, if they're pressed and do say, yeah, I, I have a budget, most people, it's in their head. And I think when you say budget, a lot of folks would definitely show up and say, I have a system or some sort of methodology for how I spend my money. But when you talk about a budget in the formal sense of a written plan, giving every dollar a name, most folks, that's a discipline that most folks just don't have. That's something else, though, to, to touch on right away. I mean, if if you are still listening, <laughs> maybe you're the small segment of the population that actually is interested in a budget. Most people are completely turned off by even the sound of it. I think Josh joked last week that it's a four-letter word, even in some households. Feels restricting, like a, like you're wearing a turtleneck, a wool turtleneck, or something like that. I think a lot of people also think that you know maybe they tried the online budget calculator and maybe they sat down and tried to do it. Nobody sticks to it, and so they're like, "Yeah, budgeting does doesn't even work. Why why even bother with it? As long as I don't spend more than what I'm making." So before we get into how we're going to do a budget and make it workable and actually something that's easy to understand and easy to follow for for people out there, because I think even though you've been using those calculators. I don't think you're really budgeting the way that you're supposed to actually be budgeting. So we're going to go over that. But before we we get to that, like like you said, Mike, nearly 60% of the population, a little bit over 60% of the population is getting by without doing a budget. So why is a budget so important anyway? Well, I guess I would challenge whether or not they really, truly are getting by. I mean, we, we do work with probably a skewed segment of the population where if you're someone who has big income or big resources, you could probably approach life saying, hey, you know, I, I'm not going to spend everything that I have. I'm living well within my means. So why get 
too focused on the nitty gritty of where the dollars are going. You know, why get bent out of shape? Why bring up a topic that might actually bring conflict into uh, our marriage or the, the household? But, you know, I, I would challenge some of those who say, hey, we're getting by without one and basically remind, me, remind them of the fact that they have the ability to go reach important financial goals in their life. And if you get real focused on where dollars are going and get your resources in alignment with your most, import, most important objectives in life, um, you know, you're, you're just going to have more success. You know, the, the thought of just getting by um, is one that I would challenge them to reach for something better. Yeah, I would I would argue most people don't understand or don't believe how simple doing a budget actually is and how meaningful, how important it actually is. It helps you, one, identify goals, but then set a course to achieve them. Helps you eliminate waste, wasteful spending, and so you can achieve those goals even quicker. Also helps you manage financial changes. You know, we're financial planners, but one thing's for sure, life comes at you. That plan will change. It will adapt. Your job situation will change. You'll have another kid. Kids will go to college. How do you manage those, uh, those changes? A budget is so important because it can help you do that as well. Okay, so it's important, but why aren't people doing it? Well, that's a great question. So budget, when you think about budget and, and people hear that word and they freeze, it's almost like bringing up the word diet and people say, oh, <laughs> Not interested in that one either. So why don't people budget is a great question. The, some people just don't see the value in it. They don't think that it's important. So they, they don't do it. I think my experience has been with a lot of folks, they when, when they approach their finances, they want to do it perfectly. And they feel like if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. So there's this latent perfectionistic tendency that says, if this isn't going to be absolutely perfect, I'm not going to do it. And really, when you're when we look at budgeting, there's 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 a couple of components. One is tracking my spending. So if all I did was track my spending, invested a ton of time in tracking my spending just to see where my dollars went, and I'm looking backwards, that I've only done part of the process, and I haven't really gotten the help from budgeting. So really. The big idea is to look forward to what I'm trying to accomplish and come up with a big yes that my dollars are saying yes to. And so it's easier to say no to the other things. But there's lots of reasons. Yeah, you, you mentioned the perfectionist and, and that tendency uh, steers people away from actually doing the budget. We're going to address in the second segment, what do you do when you go and spend money at Walmart? or Meyer, where you're actually buying clothes for the family, you're buying stuff for personal hygiene, but you're also buying a bunch of groceries, maybe you're buying a desk. And, and that, for the perfectionist, that's, that's enough reason right there to say, nope, I'm not doing a budget. Well, even if someone isn't a perfectionist, though, you know, there are very few people out there who have ever had a good example in their life of how to budget. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's whole generations um, that, you know, it may not have been taught to them. It may not have been modeled for them. Certainly, you know, we were talking politics and how Congress has not gotten this right. So at a national level, uh, it's not like there's great examples out there to, uh, to follow. Um, you know, there aren't schools that are teaching it for the most part. And, uh, you know, we've seen a few examples of employers that will actually you know, provide workshops on how to do this because they know that if their employees can get their finances under control, they'll be less stressed, less distracted at work, more productive and, and so on. But there just aren't that many examples out there. One other thing on, on why people 
don't budget is money tends to be a pretty private thing. We've talked about that on the show already a few times where, you know, people just don't talk about money casually with family and friends. It's a personal matter. You don't talk about how much you make and sometimes you don't talk about how much you spend. And when you're talking about budgets, oftentimes you're comparing yourself to your peers and all of that, but you're never really talking to someone about your financial situation. Well, that one certainly hits me between the eyes. I, <laughs> I was actually just in the car with my kids yesterday, and uh, my middle son, who just seems to be fascinated with money, is always asking questions about money. Um, he, he started asking, how much money do you have? And my response was, that's private. Yeah, even and with their I, kid. Yeah, I, I kind of caught myself, but he caught me too. He, he was puzzled by the idea that money would be private. And he, he asked... Well, why it doesn't wear underwear? You know, we, we've taught our kids that their underwear covers their private parts, right? How old? He's seventeen. You said? <laughs> no, you know th- this idea of money being private. Certainly, we've seen examples of whole generations. Uh, you know, the the World War II generation, who as a group lived well within their means. I mean, they were frugal as a group, right? But they were also very secretive about money. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many mm-hmm. clients have come into our office and mom or dad passed away and they say, for the first time ever, I now see what mom and dad's financial life was. We had no clue. Yeah, we've seen that uh, happen in my family, too, where the kids, you know, when something happens and care has to be taken over, the kids had no idea what the finances were. There is an old article that I had read many, many years ago that said the the average millionaire you would never guess they're a millionaire. The millionaire yeah. next door. And yeah. I think everybody thinks, oh, a millionaire's big giant house and all these expensive cars and women hanging off of them left and right <laughs> and that sort of thing. And really, they tend to live in middle-class neighborhoods, drive modest cars, live a comfortable but modest lifestyle, and the person next door has no idea that they're living next door to a very wealthy person. So again, that kind of goes into how they've managed their, their money and their budgeting and everything else. So what percentage do you think of clients that come into core and financial group are doing a budget when they get in. And then I assume you guys probably get them on a budget right away, right? At some level, you know, cash flow comes up in every conversation because we're always talking about goals. And again, how do you get the right dollars pointed at those goals? So it's a, it's a cash flow conversation. Whether or not we go into line by line type of budgeting depends on where they're at in life and what they're most focused on. To me, if you're at the beginning of your career or the beginning of a marriage, that's a time to get real focused on budgeting line by line. And I, I would also say that at the end of your career, you know, getting ready to transition into retirement, that's a time to get real focused on the discipline of budgeting because you're moving from perhaps the, the peak earning years of your life to now living on some level of a, a fixed income, right? So the stakes are higher when you get to that stage of the game. And, uh, you know, getting the habit built into your retirement uh, is certainly a discipline that could serve you well. Yeah, it's a skill that's very important. And the budgeting game is one that if it's approached as a team sport, you can win. If you have a great coach helping you budget, you can win. Most folks have a difficult time doing it by themselves because it is so emotional. So when folks come into Corhorn Financial Group, what we help them do is assess their readiness level. What what skills do they have as it relates to budgeting? And it is important because it's instructive. What I'm making today 
versus what I'm living on will help me determine what I may need in the future to reach some of the goals that I have. So we uh, work with folks to figure out where they are and give them a vision for where they need to be skill-wise and then help them develop those skills. And the thing that we bring is objectivity. They're Folks are very subjective. It's very emotional. My money is very emotional, and we can help them sort these things out. And, and folks will say, well, but I need this. And so we can, in a loving and gentle way, talk about the difference between what's a need and what's a want and, and just kind of create a safe place where people can talk to someone in a way that really you're not talking to that person when you're at the soccer game or the baseball fields or at the Christmas party. Yeah, we tend to be less combative with third parties than we are with our own spouse sometimes. That's mm-hmm. just how it goes. So when we get back, we're actually going to go over some real practical financial advice in dealing with a budget, how to properly set it up so you can do it at home. And we're going to do that again coming up with the, uh, the guys from Core and Financial Group. You're listening to Wise Money on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm Casey Hendrickson. Again, we got uh, Kevin, Mike, and Josh here from Corhorn Financial Group. You're listening to Wise Money. Want to remind you to go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit any financial planning question you have, even if it's a question about budgeting, which we're talking about today. You can do that at wisemoneyradio.com. We'll address it on a program in the future. So, guys, we were talking about kind of the reality of budgeting uh, in this country from the top on down. I mean, government on down to the the individual level and how people, you know, pretty much they haven't had examples of good budgeting. And so a lot of people don't do it. And, you know, why a financial planner might be a good safe haven for them. But let's go ahead and, and say that you're talking to somebody about doing a budget. They've never done one before. You know, how do they go about getting started with doing a budget? What's the beginning process here? To me, the very first step is getting real focused and clear about what goals you're trying to accomplish in your financial life and prioritizing those goals because this this really provides the why behind the budgeting altogether and when you get stuck in the uh, the budgeting process you you start having frustrating conversations uh, about money it's important to be able to go back to the why the the goals that you're trying to accomplish and um, and what brought you to the need to budget to begin with. Yeah. So, so step one is work together. If you're married, work, work with your spouse and figure out what your financial goals are and then prioritize those goals because a cappuccino from Starbucks might sound really tempting. However, if you know that you're trying to save up for that next family vacation or sending the kids to college, it's easier with that why to say no to the Starbucks deal. But a real, a real practical step would be to set a goal for getting that done between now and the end of the year. If you've never committed your financial goals to writing, uh, that might be make some sense to do. Set aside some time, get a snack, a pencil, and a piece of paper, and just sit down. Most people spend more time planning their vacation than they do planning their financial life. Yep. So, And it might take a few tries. You You might not be able to land that plane just right the first pass, Sometimes there's there are unresolved issues that come up in this conversation that prevent this conversation from being successful. So you have to be patient. It's an interesting analogy that you brought up uh, about comparing budgeting and, and planning to planning a vacation. And 
you know, I, I would actually argue that each family probably needs to pick a spouse if, if you're married, someone to be the budget initiator, someone to get the ball rolling. Uh, that's not the budget police. It's not, you know, the person who's responsible for beating everyone else over the head with the budget, but someone to just get get it started, get the conversation going, make sure that everyone's opinion is being worked into the, the budget as well. You know, sometimes budgets go unbuilt just because there's no one in charge. No one is prompting that, that first step. So step one, make a list of your goals. Step two, prioritize those goals. Step three, appoint a budget initiator or someone who's kind of going to lead the charge in that area. And step four really is where you're starting to analyze the, the, the figures. And the first one is, what are my... Uh, what are my income sources? How much money is coming in to our family over this given time period, which typically should be a month? So how much money is coming in during the month? So you guys don't want spouses to start hashing this out right away. You want somebody to at least create a rough draft first. Yeah. You you know, you can't steer a parked car, right? So it's important to at least have something to talk about, something on paper, a first pass. And you know, my experience has been every rough draft of a budget doesn't work. You know, you're going to have more stuff that gets piled in than you actually have income to uh, to plan for. So if you get it all on the table and then begin prioritizing not just goals, like we were talking before, but prioritizing actual spending. You know, is it is it more important for our family to get that uh, vacation in each year or do we have some really big and important home re, uh, home remodeling or home improvement projects that would you know take precedence over the uh, the travel expenditures and if you think about the times it, just me personally that I've been a little bit frustrated with this process it's I look at the sacrifice required to do what needs to be done to make the budget work and I don't feel like sacrificing <laughs> at that level and so so it's tempting at that point to check out and say, look, this doesn't work, so we're, we're done working on it. But you can't stop there. Yeah, that's, that's when you, you know, call in a coach and call in someone who's, who can be unemotional about the Starbucks or the shopping or whatever the decisions, financial decisions that are tripping you up and can help, help you, you lead through that. I would imagine that's where most of the time the budgeting process starts. Like maybe they sit down, they try to do it, they go over it. Now they're arguing over, no, no, we need this much for groceries. No, I don't think we do. I think we can shop over here and use canned goods rather than organic or whatever. It just kind of bogs down. And at that point, I mean, aside from getting a financial planner with that third party, I mean, what are some suggestions you guys might have for people that are trying to work through this process at home right now? Yeah. I, aside from getting a financial planner, I would recommend getting a financial planner. I mean, <laughs> that... It, because really what you yeah. need is... Some... How did they get to the budget for the financial planner, Kevin? <laughs> so what you, what you need, because a, a lot of folks feel bad about this because they might have gone to a Financial Peace University class and they, they spent 13 weeks watching Dave Ramsey on the big screen and he's amazing at communicating these concepts. And so they're listening to him and they're seeing videos of people who have had great success with this and hearing stories in their class of how people... Uh, have become debt-free and whatever, but they look and they say, it's not working for us. It's not working for us. So there are, besides a financial planner, lots of folks know someone who's good at the budgeting process. So if you've got a friend, 
I know in our church there are people that are good at it, people who teach the Financial Peace University class. And when folks in passing mentioned to me, hey, I've got a problem and they think it's a car problem, it's not, it's a budget problem, I send them to the person in our church that can help them with a budget. You know, the only um, caution I would throw out there about getting a professional or a third party involved is being careful about the why behind getting getting them involved. I mean, maybe you guys have seen this before, but uh, have you seen one spouse kind of coming to the table saying, hey, I need help with budgeting because uh, my spouse won't won't stay within the clothing budget or my spouse is spending too much on Starbucks or... Did Cindy did, call you? Yeah. <laughs> did she put you up to this? This is actually an intervention. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> gotcha. No, you know... Often we think um, the things that are important to me in the budget, my spouse might not see as important. And when they start spending in a totally different direction, we think we need to call in reinforcements to fix them, right? You know, you get through to them because I, I can't. But the truth is, this is what the budgeting process is all about. It's balancing different values, different priorities on money, and making sure that both spouses have a voice in how the money gets gets spent, and then holding each other accountable to it. So real quick before we, we go to break again, for, for those who don't get stuck, I mean, how do they know the budgeting process is over? Well, so so the the final step is just monitoring your 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 actual spending versus what you set out to spend. So tracking your income, tracking your expenses, and then it's just the ongoing process of, all right, did we spend too much in this area or spend, um, you know, did we not spend as much as we thought in this area? And that helps make your financial life tangible, helps make these decisions less emotional because between you and your spouse, you can look at the actual data and say, this is what we were planning on doing. Here's the budget. Here's what we actually did. What adjustments do we need to make? It's all clear. And I would add one more thing, stepping back even a little further in the process. There aren't enough people who approach the budgeting process with one very important truth in mind, one commitment to each other and to the process. They're not going to spend more than they earn, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that, that's where Congress goes wrong every year. That's, that's, that's why we have $18 issue. trillion of debt uh, in, in this country, because it's, it's not um, already an accepted truth that we're not going to spend more than we generate. Yeah, and I would think of the budget not as an event, but the budget is a process, so it's, it's not the budget, it's not a destination, it is the journey. And as I'm working through and I've set my financial goals and I have certain benchmarks that uh, where I can mark my progress and know whether I'm on pace, where I'm ahead of pace, whether I'm behind where I need to be, that the budget is an effective tool to help me manage my finances. And of course, if you guys have any questions about this, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit your questions online on the website right there. We've got some listener questions coming up right here on Wise Money with Corn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm Casey Hendrickson. Got Kevin, got Mike, got Josh from Corhorn Financial Group, and you're listening to Wise Money. And we want to remind everybody that if you have any questions about financial planning, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit your questions online there, and we will address it in future shows, just like we're about to do right now. 
And in fact, uh, we've got a really good question that fits with today's discussion, guys. Joe, he's 28 years old. He says that he just started budgeting with his wife, and they are debating between getting started on saving for retirement or paying extra on their mortgage. Uh, which one of them is right? You know, should you go with the mortgage, or maybe you should you uh, start the uh, retirement asset buildup? Well, way to go, Joe. At the first, thanks for the question. And number two, it sounds like you're at 28. Really, you got yourself in a good financial position here to, to get started. So he hasn't th- learned that his wife is always right, though. Yeah. He's asking us to weigh in on a debate. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, but it would start with what? What are your goals? Where are you uh, right now compared to what you're trying to achieve financially? Um, if you were to prioritize it and say he looked at all his goals and said, "Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all checked off here," so it's down to these two. You, typically, you would be saving for retirement and making sure that you're saving the right amount for retirement before you're putting extra on your mortgage. I'm not saying paying extra on the mortgage is a bad idea, but I would make sure that you're saving the right amount to reach your retirement goals before you're putting extra on the mortgage. Yeah, this is a question that hits a number of the six areas of financial planning. So if you look at the six areas, your present financial position, protection planning, tax planning, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning, this, it, it feels like a present financial position question. And so my first question is, is your cash reserve sufficient enough to be now pushing dollars someplace where you really aren't going to be able to get your hands on them? So for sure, your cash reserves need to be sufficient. Your working capital levels need to be where they need to be. Now, from the question, it appears as though that's the case. So now you look at this and you say, well, then it's not a present financial position question. It looks like a retirement planning question, but really it's a tax planning question. question. Mm -hmm. And I was actually looking at it from the angle of just rate of return. I mean, you think about how low mortgage rates are right now. Hopefully, you know, Joe at 28, if he's got a mortgage, he got that mortgage when we're at rock bottom levels, right? I mean, he's probably in the three, three and a half percent, depending on how long it is. If he pays extra on his mortgage, he's going to save himself that three and a half percent of interest. He ought to be able to earn much more than that over the long haul in his retirement as well. So if you're looking at an illiquid place to put money, to get the most bang for the buck, uh, you know, even if you ignored the the tax savings of throwing money into a four hundred one k or an IRA, um, you know, just the fact that you should be able to earn more over time uh, to me is also a consideration. And although this wasn't part of the question, a lot of times uh, a younger person, if they've got a mortgage, it might make sense to put more money on the mortgage if they're paying PMI. Yeah. So if they're in a position where they're paying an extra 30 to $50 a month of private mortgage insurance, it might make sense to get your equity position in the house up to a point where you can get rid of the PMI. Okay. Do you, do you want to define PMI for people or, uh, you know, I can, um, private mortgage insurance is basically an extra protection that's there in place for the lender. If you don't have at least 20% down, when you bought that house, uh, which, you know, at 28, you, you'd probably assume that it was a small down payment. Um, 
you could be paying an extra amount in your monthly payment that's just there to protect the lender because you're a bigger risk for default. It's a waste of money. It doesn't help you in any way. So the sooner that you can get to that 20% equity in the house, uh, the faster that that goes away. Okay. So that might be an option. Because I think a lot of people are probably looking at something like this and going, yeah, but if we have a 30-year mortgage and we can pay it off in 15 years, and that gives us an extra 15 years to fully fund retirement, and that would benefit us more. But again, you don't know what's going to happen with the market. You don't know what's going to happen with your job situation, relocating, and all that other stuff. And if that all goes goes away, and like you talked about, Josh, with the interest levels, you might end up really forward funding things and maybe getting some more equity when you sell, but that may not actually help you depending on the way the market is. Mm-hmm. So at least you'll have retirement. Yeah, and our experience is statistically, most folks move once every five years. And so this is this is where when you're when you're dealing with the house and dealing with the mortgage questions, you really want to consider all of the factors that go into that because um, sometimes the focusing on the mortgage is by far the best thing to do, and sometimes it although it's tempting to try and look at that amortization schedule and say oh I can I can bring the time forward that this thing is paid off. Uh, you're better off focusing on a different goal, certainly if that goal will give you some lift from a tax planning perspective. Yep. All right, guys, we got James from Buchanan. I own and operate my own service business. I need to purchase a new company car for my sales manager. When I discussed this with my CPA, he suggested that if I buy a bigger vehicle, I could get a bigger tax deduction for the whole purchase this year instead of depreciating it over time. Does that sound right to you? And if so, do you think this is something worth considering or is it bad advice? I assume the CPA is talking about a tax strategy that's called the Section 179 expense. You know, uh, any business owner or farmer or self-employed individual out there uh, is probably familiar with the idea that when they buy equipment for their business, they take a tax write-off for that over time uh, called depreciation. It's it's a way of slowly uh, writing off the the useful life of that particular equipment uh, as time goes on. So it gives you the tax savings as you do this. A section 179 says that instead of doing it the slow patient way, you can just write the whole thing off all in one shot. Um, you know, so instead of a, a car, which would be a seven year slow depreciation, if you could write the whole thing off all in one shot, it would give you a nice big tax savings this year. The problem is cars aren't considered equipment in the eyes of the IRS. Um, in order for it to be considered equipment, it has to weigh over 6,000 pounds. So that's probably what he meant by it has to be a bigger vehicle. But 6,000 pounds, I mean, that's starting to get into SUV, you know, bigger uh, heavier, more expensive vehicles, more expensive to operate, more expensive to insure. So to go spend more on a bigger vehicle just so you can write the whole thing off all at once doesn't seem like great advice to me. I, I would remind um, James that uh, it's not a bigger write-off that you're getting. It's just a sooner write-off. You're just getting it all in one year instead of over time. Um, I, I wouldn't go spend extra money just to get a sooner write-off. I mean, maybe if it was conducive to the job, but we're talking about a sales manager who I yeah, don't right. think needs a giant vehicle, yes, right, probably. Nope, so probably not. it may end up being uh, much more expense in the uh, in the long run, though. Appreciate the uh, the question, James. Thank you very much. We've got a bunch more listener questions to get to. Again, we want to remind everybody, if you go to wisemoneyradio.com, you can submit questions right there on the website, just like we're doing now. 
At some point in the future, we'll be addressing and answering those questions here on the show. Again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Again, I'm Casey Hendrickson. We've got Kevin, we've got Mike, we've got Josh. They're here from Corhorn Financial Group. You're listening to Wise Money. Once again, you can submit questions about financial planning, wisemoneyradio.com. And we left off uh, at James and Buchanan, who had that uh, really good question about the, the vehicle purchase. We're going to go to Christine in Niles, Michigan. My boyfriend and I just got engaged, plan to get married next June. He wants to get started buying a house and open bank accounts together, take advantage of low interest rates, etc. I feel like we should go slower, but also don't want to miss out on the good deal for buying a house. Do you have any suggestions on how we should begin merging our finances together? Yeah, I actually had my first meeting this year with someone who I've been working with as a single guy for a long time. He's probably listening. He's a big fan of the station and the show. Uh, I've been working with him as a single guy for a long time, and he finally met the one. And he had decided this is the one. However, before we say I do, I need her to come in here and we're going to meet and have a powwow about finances, make sure we're on point with goals, directions, and all of that. And and it was great. It was a healthy discussion. And so when I think of this, I, yeah, I, I, I first would make sure you air everything out together financially with your spouse-to-be is there shouldn't be any financial secrets. A lot of people walk into marriages with some financial baggage or secrets or so on. No, air it all out and talk through what your goals are and priorities are before you jump into too many big financial decisions. Yeah, I think too many uh, folks, when they're trying to merge their lives together, they're real quick to make a legal connection, whether it's owning a property together or, uh, you know, having bank accounts, borrowing money, whatever. And they skip over that step that you were just talking about. They, they don't get connected emotionally or mentally on the topic of money. They don't know how each other thinks about money. Um, so, you know, the suggestion I would have is uh, don't buy the house together. Um don't borrow together, don't merge the bank accounts together until you're married. And in the meantime, involve each other on all the decision-making because you're going to be doing it together and you got to work out your system for how are we going to decide on things? There, there's a finite amount of money. Um, where is it going to go? And how do we learn to talk about this? That's one of the reasons why, you know, earlier in the show, we were talking about why do people not budget? It's because it's just a shouting match too often. It's an argument just waiting to happen. So learning to talk about money without the arguments, it's easier to get that habit built while you're still, you know, starry eyed and in love. And, uh, you know, that fiance can, you know, do nothing wrong. Um, so yeah, in periods of great uncertainty, you should seek wisdom. And so I would tell this couple, I'd say, Christine, Find some place, maybe at your church or someplace else, where you can get premarital counseling. So my wife and I, before we got married, we had about 40 hours of premarital counseling. Our pastor was amazing. And he walked through all of these financial things as well. And it's important to have some sort of guidance, some sort of clear 
plan and clear path. Because sometimes when you're excited about getting married, you want to do something because you have all this energy and excitement and you say, okay, well, let's do something. Well, what can we do? Well, let's, uh, let's go open up a bank account together. And that kind of is going to signify our love and commitment to each other. And I, it's, a lot of times it can be a, a ready, fire, aim process where you say, no, don't get these things out of order because really financially there isn't a big rush. That's not the, the one that's the most important to get together before you get married. But I do think it's important to get that right. Well, and I, I think she even alluded to that in the question here, this sense that they're going to miss an opportunity to get a good deal on a house or whatever. And I, I don't know if they have a specific house in mind or if they're just talking about, hey, is the market going to start overheating or interest rates going to rise? What is it? But, you know, this sense of urgency drives people to do stupid things all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that buying a house together would be stupid, um, but it could be. You know, you, you still haven't fully learned everything that you need to learn about operating together financially. We obviously don't know anything about their financial life. Do they have the right down payment? Are they, are they ready for this? Yeah. So yeah, don't do it question. until you know you're ready. Don't get his name tattooed on your back until after the ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> so this next one is from John. It's actually pretty similar to Joe's question from earlier. Uh, my wife and I just retired. I feel that it would really help our budget if we cashed in some of our 401k, wiped out our mortgage. The balance is 67000 on the mortgage. Our payment is 790 a month. Is this a good idea? Oh, we get this question all the time. And so here's one angle. Here's one angle to, to approach it. You look at the cost of having the mortgage. What's your interest rate? Josh alluded to it earlier. Let's say on the high side, it's 4%. What's the cost of you cashing in the money from your 401k or from, uh, from an IRA? And you're looking at possibly... 40% all in if you're you know if you're paying tax on that and it depends on tax bracket and all of that but compare a 4% cost to a 40% cost uh, I think I'll take the 4%. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a mentality out there that if you get to retirement and still have a mortgage, you've failed, right? You know, you've done something wrong along yeah. the way and and I I don't personally agree with that. Um, you know, you look at this, they, they said a $790 a month payment. The, the nice thing about that payment is it's never going up, right? No Less, inflation. Yeah. Your, your mortgage rate is going to stay the same. The payment is the same. What will go up over time are your utility bills and your food bills and everything else that you spend money on in retirement. It's going to get more and more expensive. And that's what the 67000 or more in your retirement account is going to have to support for years and years to come. Yeah, there's a lot of things in this. Uh, and, and to your point, Josh, it's not the end of the world if you reach retirement and you still have a sizable mortgage, as in uh, the case here with John. But I think sometimes when you look at your financial goals, having a goal of paying off the mortgage before I retire, that can be a great goal and a great motivator to say, hey, I'm going to put that between me and retirement, and I'm not going to get to retirement until I get through this mortgage. So I am going to get, I'm going to get this paid off. I'm going to get the cars paid off. I'm going to have a new car that, will, that I can drive for the next 20 years or what have you. And the interesting thing about this, you know, this, this looks like a cash flow question. It's really 
a tax planning question. It can be, yeah. Because mm-hmm. when you think of all the areas that would be affected by this, the taxation, if they're drawing Social Security, the taxation of my Social Security, what I pay for Medicare, um, a, a number of different areas. And again, this is this is more complicated than we uh, can really answer here, but there, it does raise a number of great questions to be asking. That's a big one, though, the, the, the Medicare, because if they were to go crank up their income by 67 or, or you know, could be much more than that, uh, that they had to pull out of the retirement account, they have a nasty surprise waiting for them next year when suddenly they're spending a whole lot more money each month on Medicare premiums. A lot of people don't realize that it's a sliding scale for how much you pay on Medicare. It's all based on your income the prior year. Do you think these guys are looking at this and going, look, that's $790 a month that I could not have to worry about and that'll help me with my day-to-day spending? Maybe allow us to take you know, a trip or two that we wouldn't normally be able to take because we have the mortgage, though? Probably. That A lot of people approach it from that angle. So let me flip the coin on you. In order to get $67,000 out of your retirement account, you probably need to take out 90 or 95. So you can flip that and say, well, that cash flow freed up can really help me do some interesting things. But and look at it. And I need to pull out 95,000 just to pay off my mortgage anyway. So, yeah, I think when people see that extra $30,000 there, they go, oh, yeah. okay, I get it now. Wake up call, yeah. And just a idea just off the cuff, $67,000. If you refinance that for 30 years, you've got a $300 a month payment. And that might make some sense. And it's still a really low payment. So if you're leaving it to somebody, it should be manageable. Yep. Yeah, they if, you, sh- if you do refinance, I know we're down like 30, 40 seconds here, but if you do refinance that, um, I mean, is there a negative impact on inheritance there? No, I think whoever... Equity and things like that, like if they decide to take the property and sell it or... Well, no, no, no different than taking out money from your 401k and putting it on, on okay. the debt. But I'm saying all, a refinance basically re, re-amortizing that $67,000. So not changing my debt position in the house, just changing just the time it. frame over which I pay it. And that I could cut my payment in half or less. Which again, your relatives <clears throat> would be um, very appreciative of that, I think. God forbid it should ever happen. Of course, we hope you live forever. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, make sure you go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit any of your financial planning questions. Uh, there's actually some really good ones in here about credit scores and buying houses and stuff. We're going to have to devote a show to that, I think. Uh, but again, go to wisemoneyradio.com. Of course, you can listen to the podcast and everything there. Uh, guys, how can they get a hold of you if they do decide they want uh, Quorum Financial Group's uh, services? Check us out, corhorn.com, K-O-R-H-O-R-N.com. All right. We do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Wise Money Radio on 95.3 MNC. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.